Hello and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host Stephen Horns and I'm here by myself today and I shall explain why in a moment. This show is for anyone who has a product or business idea and wants to go full time on it eventually or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads and anything in between. So for this episode um, it's just going to be me um, primarily due to a bit of a sort of a diary conflict uh, on my part. So I was away last week in a small city called Ostersund in Sweden uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about later and the idea was that as I sort of flew back and then this week me and Kevin would meet up and then record our next two episodes. Um, I've not been able to do that because I've been doing some online um, workshops for a private company which I wasn't really scheduled to do but um, someone I know had to pull out from doing this and instead of cancelling the event they asked me if I could uh, sort of take part and take over their place. Uh, which I've been doing but obviously that's meant that me and Kevin haven't been able to meet and we need an episode for this Thursday so you've got me today or this week or this episode however you want to describe it um, so Kevin's absolutely fine um, he's off doing his um, still beam calculator products and no doubt by the time we meet up again he's probably going to release another two or three products because they, uh, they're really sort of getting really good pace on releasing their calculation products which is pretty cool uh, so next week in the UK, it's actually school half term holidays. So I'm going to be away doing some stuff with the family and Kevin will be with his. So we'll be meeting after the holidays. OK, so in this episode, then I'm really just going to do a bit of an extended update on what I'm doing and sort of just talk about some thoughts and things that are floating around in my head, um, which hopefully you might find interesting. Uh, but first of all, let's have some questions. So the first one is from Phil. And it says, uh, this one's sort of directly aimed at me, which is why I've included it here. So at what point does going to a lot of conferences switch from being a novelty to a chore? Has this switch happened for you yet? And that's a really good question because, you know, I've been doing conferences now for about five years, which is fantastic. And at the beginning, it really was, you know, incredibly exciting. You get invited to these events. Sometimes they're in different countries and you get to travel. And it really was a novelty, just as uh, Phil says in the question. Um, but then, you know, after a while, some of that travelling can become a bit of a chore. It can become difficult because, you know, you're spending a lot of time waiting in airports, which can be quite difficult. And, um, yeah, it can be difficult. And but have I got to the point where I actually don't like it and resent it? Well, no, I haven't. You know, I still really enjoy it. Um, you know, unless I'm doing a workshop, I'm not directly earning revenue off of doing um, a conference appearance. So if it ever was... A real chore and I didn't like it then I just wouldn't do it um, but you know I do I do really enjoy it so I'm very fortunate in that traveling can be a bit painful sometimes um, so when I sort of go on to my updates later I'll talk about the uh, nightmare I had traveling back from Sweden which was you know one of the downsides of being a, a conference speaker um, but no you know it, it's not a chore it's not a novelty either it's just part of what I do so now what I try to do is I've tried to cut my um, traveling down a fair amount um, so I'm not just you know blindly applying to lots and lots and lots of conferences I'm trying to sort of keep it to a sensible level so that I can do like you know maybe four potentially maximum of five events where I have to sort of travel abroad a year uh, I may do less next year it just depends on how things go so no it's not a chore but you know it's not a novelty either it's just part of what I do 
So the next question is from someone who's uh, didn't provide a name, so we'll just call them Anon or Anonymous. Uh, so you mentioned you're writing a new book. How comes you're not seeking a traditional publisher for it? And that's a fantastic question. And the answer for that is it all comes down to control. So I've done publishing for a traditional publisher. You know, it was a, it was an enjoyable process. I enjoyed it, but I don't have much control over that book or manuscripts anymore. So if I want to issue changes or anything, then, you know, we'd have to commission a second edition. You know, that takes time. Then there's editing time, printing time. So there's actually sort of a big lag in able to try and update the material. And plus in traditional publishing, certainly through technical books, the margins uh, can be very low because once, you know, you've paid back your advance and then, you know, the publisher's taken their cut, it really doesn't leave very much. So that's one reason why I'm going down the self-publishing route. So... A few years ago, I started publishing some short guides um, in a series called A Gentle Introduction. And part of that was because I wanted to write some short guides, but the other part was because I was kind of testing the self-publishing process, and I thought I'd do that by writing some very short guides. So those were published via Amazon pretty much exclusively, so the ebook version is Amazon Kindle, um, by far the largest ebook market, so I didn't really see the point in tackling other markets. If you go um, exclusive on ebooks through Amazon, then you get a much higher royalty rate. It's 70% as opposed to 30% if you're not exclusive. Um, but I also do uh, my paperback publishing through them as well. So they have a print-on-demand service called KDP, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, which means that if someone orders the paperback version of a book, and they really do look good, they're very high quality, but it means that Amazon will just you know print it and then send it out to, to the person which is fantastic so you're not left with um, a lot of stock inventory that you have to keep hold of so it's just printed on demand so that's pretty cool now, I've had quite a few good successes with that and you know all of those books you know make a fairly decent um, return so that was kind of the test for the process and that's what I'm going to do for this new book um, I won't say too much about it now because I, I want to talk, talk about the book in a bit more detail um, sort of in the next section but that's the primary reason why I'm self-publishing because I want to maintain control over what I'm doing with that book so if I want to you know do an update I can just easily push those out over a couple of days as opposed to you know three to six months okay so for the rest of this episode then I really want to do a bit of um, an extended update on what I've been working on because um, you know some people might find that interesting if, if you don't find that interesting you know that I won't be offended if you don't listen to all of it you know normal service will be resumed shortly but let's just start off what I've been doing recently. So last week I was invited to visit a company in Sweden that's in a small town called Östersund which is about halfway up Sweden so it's kind of a bit level with the bottom of Iceland so it's not quite the Arctic Circle but it's not far. It's not far from the Arctic Circle and it was very cold and very wet and rainy. Um, but it's pretty cool so the the company I went to they reached out to me via email about two months ago and a couple of the people there had seen a talk I did in Sweden last year at a conference called Uradev so they were in the audience and plus you know I hung out with them a little bit um, at the uh, conference party so I got to know these guys quite well and they got in touch with me and said you know we're doing um, a kind of a it's not really a big conference but they're doing an event in Ostersund which is a joint venture between a series of companies and it's all about them trying to attract people out of big cities into a small town like Ostersund 
to you know join tech companies because there's quite a few large tech companies there but they were saying that they've been having trouble recruiting so there's just not enough people so this event was you know parts of sort of try and get people to you know come in and sort of work in the city so they put this event on with lots of different talks and they asked me to do the very last talk of the um of the event which i did so i did a talk on blockchain internals uh, which i did last thursday uh went really really well uh quite a good audience quite a big audience there's probably about 100 people came to that and then on the next day on the friday i did a private workshop for the company that invited me so i did a half day workshop um again on blockchain internals and sort of talking about how blockchains work and um, whether they're actually suitable for a lot of business use cases and we spent quite a long time you know discussing various different use cases so that went very well it's a very successful trip uh the only downside to the trip was when i tried to come home so i had a, a few uh flight issues so ossershund airport is tiny i mean it literally is like a shed in a field with a runway next to it pretty much so i got there at the airport fairly early on the saturday morning you know a good couple of hours before the flight you know which you, you know, you're supposed to do, get there early but as i did that um the gates to the security where you go through to have your luggage checked was closed which is a bit annoying so i had to sit around luckily i found a coffee machine i had to sort of sit around a while waiting for that to open went through security took a seat and my flight was supposed to be at 10 25 a.m and then it was suddenly delayed until 1 20 p.m which was very annoying because i was supposed to catch a connecting flight to copenhagen and then from copenhagen back to manchester so it was actually a bit of a long convoluted journey to get home but because of this delay it meant that i was going to miss all my connections now i absolutely had to guarantee that i was back on the saturday because my wife had to travel for her company on the sunday so i need to be back for the kids so I looked around the airport to see if there was a Scandinavian Airlines desk there to try and sort this out, and there wasn't. Like I say, it's a very small airport. Um, I tried calling Scandinavian Airlines to see if we could organise a reschedule of flights sort of there and then. But unfortunately, because my flight was booked by a travel agent um, from the company that I was going to visit, they couldn't amend any bookings or sort anything out for me. So they said that, I wouldn't be able to be rerouted until I get to Stockholm, which is where my first connection was. And I was like, ah, that's a bit of a problem. But they did look at some of the flights and they said, oh, well, a lot of the flights are actually filling up quite quickly. So worst case scenario, I would have to travel back from Stockholm on the Sunday, which was, no, that's no good. I need to be back for the kids on the Saturday. So in the end, I had to you know, just go on the Scandinavian app and I found that there was a flight from Stockholm later in the afternoon going to London Heathrow direct um which you know it's quite a few miles out of the way because i'm supposed to be going back to manchester but in the end i just bit the bullet and just had to pay for that flight because that was the only one that's going to guarantee that i could get home on saturday so luckily that flight was on time you know, i made the connection in stockholm flew to london heathrow and then had to get a train journey um from london heathrow back to where i live in derbyshire so i ended up getting home just before midnight um, but that was fine it meant you know i was home my wife could travel for her for her company so it all worked out well in the end um, but yeah it was a really quite frustrating day of travel now I, I, I feel i'm quite lucky in the five years i've been doing events i've not really had any major problems um, with delays so this is kind of the first one so i guess you know i was probably owed owed a bad day so that was my trip to ostershund 
so what else am I doing? So I'm currently working on a new course for Prill Sites. Uh, this is a course that they asked me to build um, on stakeholder management. So it's kind of an introduction to sort of how the stakeholder management process works in an organisation. So it's going to be a fairly short course. It's kind of an introductory course. It'll be about an hour, I reckon, when I'm done. Um, so the process I've gone through for this one is because um, I've got quite a lot of travel coming up. I've decided to front load writing the entire script for the whole course. So as I sit here now, I have now scripted the entire course. Um, I've built the slides for the entire course. Um, not actually recorded anything yet. So later this week, I'm going away just for sort of a long extended weekend with the family. So what I'll do is I'll record all of the content for this course when I get back next week. And then when I do my final trip of the year at the beginning of November, which is back to Uredev in Sweden, um, I'll have all the edited, well, I'll have all the recorded footage so I can record that while I'm on the road because editing is quite a nice task to do when you're traveling. So that course should be finished hopefully about the second week of November, which will be quite good. And then that will be out. And uh, what I'm doing after that is I'm actually going to do a redo of one of my, or re-record of one of my older courses. So when I started working with Plural Sites, I did a course called Developer to Manager. Now, it was my first course. Um, the slide design was using an older slide format of Plural Sites. It was more of a sort of a four by three aspect ratio square slide. Um, so obviously it looks really out of date visually compared to what's on the platform now. Uh, but also it was my very first attempt at re recording a course. So it didn't sound particularly good. Some of the editing, you know, whilst it was good at the time, because it's my first one, you know, I look back at it now and it kind of makes me cringe a little. So what I've discussed with Pluralsight is I'm basically going to keep the content the same. You know, the content is still completely valid that's in the course. I'm just going to redesign all the slides using the latest templates and kind of re-record it and edit it. Now I've got the benefit of the experience. So I'm actually quite looking forward to it because it's a really good course. Um, it's all about um, if you're a software developer and sometimes you face the choice of are you going to go into management or into a leadership role so this course kind of helps you work out whether that is actually right for you and then if it is right for you it kind of helps work through a 30 day um, or no, a 90 day plan of kind of how you can structure that first three months on the job to sort of make it succeed so you know I'm very happy with the course that is out I just want to give it a bit of a of a new look and feel just make it you know make it look fresh again so that's what i'm going to do that will probably take me probably most of november so i've already got the script and content written for it i just need to redesign all the slides and re-record so it shouldn't take me too long but that'll take me to the end of november and then what i'm planning to do again in this december is pretty much take the month off from doing any kind of you know billable work and just work on learning something new so I did that last year in December. That's when I wrote my little text adventure engine. So I'm going to do the same this year. So this kind of redo of this course will be a nice little project just to take me up to the start of December, which will be good. And then hopefully I'll have a new course signed for January. Okay, so what else am I doing? So I've been working on the book, you know, what we just discussed in the questions. So the book's called A Path to Freedom. Uh, a guide to running a side hustle for the reluctant entrepreneur. So it's kind of about people that you know are nervous about starting a business. It's kind of a kind of a you know fairly practical guide to help them um, be successful in their role. So the book split into three parts. Um, each part contains multiple uh, chapters. So part one is completely drafted. Part two is about 
85% drafted and I've not really started part 3 yet although I will be soon so what I've done is I've hired an editor I think I've spoken about this before but a lovely lady called Mandy who lives in Perth in Australia very experienced um, editor so we've just finished um, the first bit of work well I've just finished the first bit of work with Mandy so I sent her part 1 of the book and she's gone and done her editing process to it I gave her quite, you know, quite free reign on it. So, you know, change whatever you feel you need to change to make the book sound good. Because, you know, as much as, you know, when we're writing, we like to think that what we're writing is good. You really do need a sort of a critical expert to sort of cast their eye over it. And, you know, and with the benefit of her publishing experience, just make the book, you know, even more readable. So she's recently sent part one back, which is the first six chapters. And it reads really really well I'm so happy with it so the book you know is still what I've written but she's you know corrected any grammar faux pas she's uh, restructured a few sentences here and there and you know just kind of giving it a nice loving you know a loving hand over the writing and it really does sound good so I'm very happy with that so I'm just getting the next six chapters so the first part of section two of the book I'm just getting that ready to send over to her so I'm kind of hoping that parts one and two will be properly complete by the end of the year is what I'm aiming for at the minute. And then part three, I'll hopefully have a lot of it drafted uh, by the end of January and then Mandy can sort of do her you know, final piece on that. So I should have the book hopefully finished around um, the end of the first quarter of next year. So it's quite a lot of work. I think it's going to be about 120 to 150,000 words. So that'll be you know, a good 400 page book which is a, you know, a fairly good size so that's been pretty cool so as I said in the question that I answered earlier I am self-publishing it uh, and the main reasons are I want to maintain complete control over the book so you know that gives me the ability to change whatever I need to but it also means any royalties that are generated do come sort of directly to my company which is important um, but I'm not just stopping at the books there's going to be some other products which are going to sort of sit alongside the book which people can either use as well as a book or instead of. So I'm kind of targeting multi-channel. So the first thing I'm going to do is a series of probably about 10 to 12 mini courses on Skillshare based around some of the content in the book. So if someone's a Skillshare subscriber, then they can just go and watch those courses. I'm also going to be preparing a much larger course. Now this, this will be quite a big project, which will probably take me into the summer of next year. But I'm going to do a really long kind of self-guided um workshop version of the book which I'll probably launch via a site called teachable.com so this will be you know a product which will you know cost several hundred dollars to buy for the course but it will go through the stuff that's in the book but in a lot more detail lots more examples working through all of the workshop um, kind of questions uh, from the book so that that should be pretty cool uh, and then the other thing I'm thinking of building off of it is a membership site uh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to build this yet or how I'm going to do it. I need to research this. But I want to have a membership site that people can become a member of so that they can, you know, discuss, you know, become entrepreneurs. So the people that the book's aimed at can kind of get together into a community and then, you know, they can help each other and I can help mentor them and so on. So that's going to be kind of the final phase of the project. But by self-publishing the book and maintaining control of all of that content, it means I can then, you know, I'm much more free to do what I want with all the other content as well so it becomes it's going to become quite a big project I will be quite honest and say that I am quite nervous by the project because obviously it's going to be 
a lot of time effort from me to put into this and also I would have spent quite a lot of money on this process as well so hiring an editor is not cheap you know it's, it's not free I have to pay Mandy for her time and she's very very skilled at what she does so naturally you know those services are quite expensive but this is kind of something that I felt was actually needed to make the book sound really really professional so obviously that means I do have a breaking even point for the book um, which I want to try and hit as quickly as possible but there is always that nagging doubt in the back of your mind that you know what if no one buys it well you know as with any investment you need to basically invest money that you're prepared to lose so you know worst case scenario that means I have to write off the money that I've spent on producing the book but I don't think that's going to be the case you know I really do stand behind what I'm building I think it's going to be very very good so hopefully it'll be a success but there is always that nagging doubt in the back of your mind that whatever you're doing isn't going to be successful um, but we'll see how it goes so something I'm going to start uh, probably at the beginning of the year so probably in January is I'm going to start recruiting what are called beta readers so if anyone's interested in being a beta reader please do get in touch but what this will mean is that you know there'll be a private slack group which the beta readers will join and they'll get access to parts of the book as they become ready and their role really is to you know read what I've done comment on it you know is there anything that they feel that I've missed you know whilst the book will be technically complete at that point you know I, I will be open to adding um, things into it if it's if it's going to make the product better so that's the first role of the beta reader the second is um, for them to help give me their opinions on the cover artwork that I'm going to have designed and also when the book gets launched um, part of the things I'll be asking them to do is to um, well, when I first launch it will be a soft launch that no one will know about so they'll be able to go onto Amazon and buy the ebook for very very cheaply for like 99 pence and then I want them to sort of write reviews of the book because Amazon really is a search engine you need to feed it with good reviews to help you rank better so part of their involvement will be to uh, review the book as well and sort of help promote the book um, in return for that they will get a signed copy of the paperback which hopefully they will like uh, they'll also get access to the training course when it's um, done as well for free and I'll also give them free access into the membership site as well so they won't get charged for that so you know I'm trying to make sure there's perks in place for these people who are gonna hopefully help me out if you are interested in that please do you know, shoot me a tweet on Twitter or you know get in touch with me um, because you know maybe we can start that process early but that's something I'm gonna be actively doing I'll be looking for about between 30 to 50 beta readers ideally from around the world um, primarily from English-speaking countries to start with so the UK America uh, Australia but also from different regions in Europe as well uh, will be quite useful but that's quite a common process a beta reading process it's you know I haven't invented it is a common way of producing a book and sort of giving people early access so hopefully that will do well okay so what else have I been doing I've recently launched a small open source project um, which is where I've written a small library it's a c-sharp.net library and it's a profanity detector and so it's designed for detecting naughty language in strings of text and it can report what the naughty language is and it can also censor the words as well so I'll put a link to this in the show notes if you're a .NET framework or .NET Core developer it might be useful to you um, there's some actually really interesting problems I had to fix with this um, 
which became apparent to me, and it's something called the Scunthorpe problem, which I hadn't actually heard of at the time. Someone sort of mentioned it to me, so I did a bit of research. So if you imagine you've got the word... Let's try and keep this family friendly. Imagine you've got the word Scunthorpe. So Scunthorpe is a town in the UK. You know, it's not an offensive word. It's, you know, it's, it's a town. But if you look at some of the words or letters in the middle of Scunthorpe that starts with C and ends in T, I won't elaborate any more from that, a profanity detector, if you don't take this particular problem into account, will report that naughty C word in the middle of Scunthorpe, which is incorrect. It's a false positive. So Scunthorpe's not an offensive word, but it does contain a string of, of potentially offensive letters in the middle. So to actually fix that, it's actually quite a, a technical challenge and it's really quite good fun because, you, you know, you detect that the word's in there, but you then have to kind of seek backwards and forwards in the string to find the encased word and then check whether that's a profanity in itself. And then if it's not, you want to kind of disregard the initial uh, false positive. So there's a few interesting technical challenges in there, uh, which I've overcome, which were quite cool. So I've open sourced all of that. It comes with a library of about 1800 naughty words and phrases, which I managed to find on the internet. Uh, this list of words is apparently used by social media sites, although I can't actually verify that, but there's some pretty questionable stuff in there. Some stuff which I've never heard of before. Uh, I made the mistake of Googling some of them. Don't do that. But anyway, I've uh, open sourced it. I've had several companies reach out to me who's told me that they're using it in their systems, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, it's a bit of sample code that I wrote, you know, a small library and a, you know, a blog post that went along with it and some documentation. So to actually have people turn around and say, actually, we're using this in a real system for detecting profane language in users' input is, is quite nice. It's cool. You know, I'm not charging for it. It's an open source project. But one of the benefits I do get from it is by open sourcing things like this. And they count as uh, contributions for my MVP award. So that's pretty cool. Uh, feel like I'm rambling a bit, so I, I won't go on for too much longer. But um, in January, I've been invited back to the NDC London conference uh, in London, which is quite cool. So it was NDC London where I had my first big break at speaking at a conference uh, about what, four or five years ago. And I've spoken at NDC London twice, but actually for the last two years, uh, so this year, 2019 2018 i didn't actually get in there's a lot of competition uh, for these conferences so it's actually quite nice to sort of learn that i'd been accepted in for 2020 which is quite nice so i'm doing a more of a soft skills talk called fighting back against distraction and it's all about how to sort of remain kind of focused in a you know in a, in a world these days which has lots of things vying for our attention so netflix and youtube you know, Twitter, Facebook, all these things trying to steal our attention and sort of draining away our productivity. So this is kind of what the talk's about. I'm going to share quite a few stories in that as well. So once I've written the talk, you know, maybe that will make a good um, subject for one of our episodes is to kind of break some of this stuff down. So that's happening in January. January's actually quite busy. So I've got NDC Security, which is a small conference in Oslo, Norway. So I'm doing that one week where I'm teaching a workshop I'm doing a security talk and I sort of fly back, you know, do my washing, repack my case and then back down to London the following week. So quite a bit of travel in January, but then I'm not planning on doing any travel until the second half of March. So I'll be taking a good six weeks off after that of traveling. Uh, the last thing I've done that I want to talk about is I've 
uh, just today, so on the Wednesday that I'm recording this, I've released a new blog post, which is all about limiting creativity. And it's something that's been kind of mulling around in the back of my mind for a while about how, you know, thinking about distraction, as I was just saying, sometimes it's good to kind of limit the tools and the options that we have when we're trying to be creative. And that's what this blog post is about. Because, you know, at the minute we kind of have unlimited resources when it comes to building stuff. You know, we've got websites and, you know, different computing tools, hardware tools, software tools, all these things that, whilst on their own, they're all really, really good because they're, you know, they're, they're the tools that we use. Having too much stuff can kind of limit your creativity because you're just not using your brain enough is what we used to do back in the old days when technology was a lot more basic. So I kind of walk through um, some of these things in the blog post. You know, I'll give a good example where, you know, where you have children who might get a toy at Christmas, you know, they kind of, you know, put the toy to the side and the one thing they want to play with is the box. And whilst they have this very limited box to play with, you know, their imagination kind of runs wild. You know, they can turn it into a bus, a spaceship, they can turn it into a robot or a car, you know, give them a crayon or a set of felt tip pens and then they can, you know, their imagination and creativity really runs wild. And as an adult, I kind of miss that kind of creative, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like a creative innocence, you know, because children, you know, their their view of the world is very limited. So they can really focus in on being creative and using their imagination. Whereas I feel like we kind of lose that when we sort of become adults. And when we have all these tools and websites and services all around us, I think as a society, we're getting less good less good is that even bad grammar we, you know we're not getting very well we're not very good at being creative anymore so that's kind of some of the things i explore in this blog post so links in the show notes if you want to read it okay so i think i rambled on enough about what i'm up to so i just want to move on to a recommendation okay so i just want to recommend a small uh, little device uh well it's a set of earbuds because i love listening to music and podcasts um, but when I travel, especially when I'm flying, you know, I've been trying to optimise my uh, equipment that I take with me so I can travel as light as possible. So typically I'll use you know a big pair of uh, noise cancelling headphones, which I absolutely love. I mean, if I want to zone out in the office, even though if it's only me there by myself, I still put a pair of noise cancelling headphones on. It just kind of helps cocoon you. But I've been trying to, you know, I want something smaller which I can take with me when I'm flying. Um, so I'd got some airpods apple airpods but they're not very good um at cancelling out any noise so they're really terrible on an airplane so what i recently bought a little present to myself after completing some work was a set of um they're called the sony wf 1000 xm3 earbuds absolutely terrible brand name um but basically what these are these are small little earbuds that you put in your ears they come in a charging case which is quite small it's about twice the size of the apple airpod case but it's still very pocketable but these earbuds whilst you know they sound fantastic you know they've got quite a good level of bass if you like to really feel your music but they also do noise cancelling which is pretty cool now something this small that does noise cancelling is in my mind absolutely amazing so if you think about some of the big noise cancelling headphones that you have, and if you imagine that they probably cancel out about 85% of the surrounding noise around you. So these aren't as effective as that. They probably cancel out about 70%. But because they're in-ear, so they actually fit right in your ear and they've got silicon tips on it, you get passive noise cancelling as well, or noise isolation. 
So the combination of that noise isolation and their noise cancelling algorithms, they're actually very, very effective. And I tried these out for the first time when I was flying to and from Sweden. So, you know, let's, let's actually try them on a plane. They worked really, really well. And they're tiny. I can fit them in my pocket. So that's one less kind of big bulky item that I need to take with me when I'm trying to travel really light. Because if I'm going just for a few nights, I try to go really, really light before I'm taking. So literally just one bag. So this is really, really good. Now, they're not the cheapest thing ever. They're about £220. Probably about $250 maybe. But the sound quality is really, really good. Noise cancelling is quite effective considering their size. And... You know, it's a new toy. But I thought I'd share it with you because I really do recommend them. So that's the Sony WF-1000XM3. Okay, so with that, I'm going to sign off. Um, if you've listened to the end, thank you very much. I hope, you know, just giving you a bit of insight into kind of what I'm working on and kind of the things that are going through my mind at the moment. I hope it's been interesting. As I say, it's kind of my fault that I couldn't meet up with Kevin this week just because I took on this um, online workshop thing just to help someone out. But it's obviously meant that me and Kevin couldn't meet face to face to record and um, but you know normal service will be resumed shortly and i shall see you then goodbye <laughs>